Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP. And I'm Simon Humphreys. I'm a global solution architect at SAP. So Simon, we're on episode nine, and today we are discussing the future role of the leader, which promises to be uh, a fascinating conversation. So what are you looking forward to particularly in this dialogue today? So in some of our previous episodes, we've we've talked about the employee value proposition and the organizational view, but I'm interested to hear how we can now link that to what leaders you know operate as and what are they how do they live and breathe that employee value proposition itself i i agree and i think also as well is how are organizations complementing and supporting the leader to do that right because obviously that's going to be crucial and and i think i build on that i'm looking forward to hearing our guest's view on how organizations are building a broader sort of leadership culture for all if you like rather than just for those who are in managerial roles uh, and I'm also looking forward to our guest viewpoint on how change is really impacting organizations uh, today. So so I think this 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 is going to be a very rich conversation, I think. We are delighted to welcome our guest, David Williams, the founder and CEO of Impact International. David founded Impact in 1980 with nothing more than an idea and a passion for people development. Today, Impact is a multi-award-winning creative change agency partnering with global brands in more than 50 countries from 17 offices across the UK, Europe, USA, and Asia Pacific. With over 40 years experience of bringing inspiration and change to the world's leading companies, David's vision and direction have established Impact as a global market leader in experiential learning. Impact work at the intersection of leadership, change, and sustainable innovation to drive business performance and to develop organizations that are a force for good. David is a passionate advocate for human-centered change and spends much of his time inspiring corporates, public bodies, and NGOs to look beyond philanthropy and to embrace the concept of doing well by doing good. When he gets time, David enjoys traveling the world, sheep farming, and chasing his new dog, Sky. David, welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Let's hope Sky doesn't disturb this podcast because she's sat next to me now. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. So, David, let me put into context. Um, we're going to be discussing today the future role of the leader. And I suppose we can almost even expand that and sort of say, well, what's the future role of leadership uh, in, in general? The old adage has always been that people leave bosses or leaders and, and not organizations. It's a common tale. So now, no matter how much truth there is in that statement, it's clear that all levels of an organization, from a first-line manager to a senior executive, a leader can have a material impact on how we feel about our place of work, uh, our engagement, and indeed our well-being. As we move through one of the most disruptive times in recent history and move to more of a hybrid and virtual working model, the requirements and demands of what is deemed to be the role of the leader, I imagine will change considerably. This of course, in addition to all of the other changes happening in the world of work, including 
skill shortages, demographic changes, workplace expectations, and that list goes on. So this episode will delve into, well, what does that change mean in reality? And what organizations need to be doing differently to prepare and support their leaders with this hugely changing context. David and his team at Impact International have been immersed in these challenges and the expectation leaderships, as I said, for the last 40 years, bringing inspiration and change for the world's leading organizations. And to this day, one of my most powerful learning experiences was working with Impact uh, when they ran and facilitated our global leadership program, One Extra Degree, over a decade ago. So it's an absolute pleasure to have David with us today. What I would really welcome is, is getting a sense of your observations, your perspectives, if you like, on the sheer amount of change that is clearly hitting organizations through the pandemic, of course, but arguably it was even prior to that. What, so what are some of your observations and perspectives uh, on what we're seeing? The, the place to start is to recognize, first of all, that change is constant. So, you know, in the 42 years that I've been running Impact, a year has never gone by without us talking about the huge and rapid rate of change that is hitting organizations. Uh, but, but I think what's quite exciting, I'm a very positive person, and what's exciting for me is how organizations are having to change currently. I mean, obviously putting COVID to one side, which has been a really, really challenging time for all of us. I think if you look behind that, uh, what you see is that, um, you know, the great profit motive is being challenged, especially where uh, profit is being put in front of environmental damage and destruction, in front of loss of biodiversity, and in front of social equity. And even through COVID, we've seen some huge uh, tumultuous protests and people-orientated challenges coming to the fore that I think any um, CEO needs to take seriously and needs to look at in the context of where they want to take their organization to next. Um, if they want to retain talent and if they want to avoid you know what we call what we call the great resignation yeah absolutely and i know we're going to come on to that aren't we and it, I, it's interesting the language that you use there david you know having to change there is an element now of it's not a choice is it yeah i think i think um you know there are still organizations out there who are progressive forward thinking and are making change happen and the right kind of change happen and you know there's a surge of popularism there uh, and quite quite a lot of people are making their way towards those organizations because they want to be part of the party, if you like. But there are other organizations who are waiting for legislation, still kind of sailing very, very close to the wind. And, and I really don't see them having the kind of future that they would expect or like um, if they're not prepared to embrace change going forwards. And that's where the biggest leadership challenge is. Yeah, indeed. It, yeah, it absolutely is, isn't it? I mean, um, it's interesting just listening to your, your, your summary, uh, and, and I'm recalling all of the conversations we've had so far in the series, that theme of having to change is constant. Uh, you know, Harriet referenced it in, in episode five, and we were just talking with Professor Damien Hughes on episode eight about, uh, you know, a culture of performance and sustaining it. And he, he made the very same comments. 
So you mentioned the Great Resignation there, David. Obviously, you will have seen it. We've been reading articles about it, and I think everybody's got a, a, an opinion. And you look at some of the turnover data, particularly in the US. I don't know what it was, something like 5.2 million people or something changed jobs in May, I think it was. So there's no, there's no doubting when you read articles like that, or that organizations, CEOs, and the role of the leader comes under more scrutiny than, than ever before, I suppose, when you think about the retention of talent. So what are your thoughts when you read articles like that and we look at that horizon? Well, I think there's an internal factor and an external factor. If we look at the internal factor first, people who have uh, lived through this period of time, you know, waking up in the morning and, and genuinely wondering whether they're going to still be clear of this pandemic at the end of the day, um, it's caused them to revisit their priorities. Um, it's caused them to think about whether they really want to do a five-day working week, whether they're prepared to put their organization first when their children need to go to hospital or even when their pet needs to go to the vet. And it's also given them an opportunity to work from home, which is a big um, and ongoing challenge for many employers. Um, so how organizations respond to those internal factors will determine whether or not people choose to stay. I think, I think there's also a big, is the grass greener on the other side type of situation here as well, where people are just so tired of the situation they're in at the moment, they genuinely want to believe there's a better situation somewhere else, even if where they're at at the moment is probably as good as it gets. So there's that kind of extra determinant there as well. But as, as I mentioned earlier, from an external perspective, people are more critical, rightfully so, I believe, of the organizations they work for. They're no longer prepared to accept greenwash. Um, they're no longer prepared to accept uh, a lack of diversity across their organization. And they want to be aligned with organizations that stand for similar values to their own. And, uh, you know, social media, it's out, there in, it's out there in the press every day. We can see where the challenges are. We can see the results of climate change. We can see, um, you know, the unfortunate realities of more and more species being made extinct. Uh, we can see um, the huge disparity between people who have and people who have not, the huge number of migrants that are moving around the world because they've been made homeless because of uh, no fault of their own. You know, these are all issues now that people expect their organizations to address. And I don't think that was the case 10, you know, maybe even five years ago. Um, so that's the, for me, that's the big change in landscape in, in, in organizations that people are working for. And, and I think people realize they now have the choice around who they work for. That's interesting. That's a heck of a summary, isn't it? I mean, the, the thing for me, I suppose, when I listen to what you just said there, David, is, as you said, we see it every day. We are blissfully more aware, I think, of what is actually going on around us. Some of it isn't always correct. It does polarize us, doesn't it? I mean, hence, you know, if you look at the United Kingdom, we've been through one of the biggest changes in our our lives with Brexit, you, you know, coming out of the European Union. And th this argue, in some respects, it was very divisive. It was, it's divided families and friendships and all sorts. But we are more aware. Um, there's, there's no doubt about that. One thing I just wanted to just, just ask, though, is how challenging, therefore, then, is that backdrop 
if you are a line manager today. So you use the word that people are more critical. So how challenging, therefore, though, is that to somebody who's operating in a leadership capacity when they've got all of this vortex of change going on around them, their employees are way more demanding than before because of what's going on around them? How difficult is that, in your opinion? I think it's hugely difficult. Um, and this is where you need to see a mindset shift. Uh, the mindset shifts I think we need to see are away from, I am the leader and you're not. I have all the responsibility and you don't. This is my problem and not yours. So, uh, you know, I, I come right back to our definition of leadership, if you like. Um, and, and our definition of leadership is it's not about a special kind of person. You know, either someone who's been given authority, a title or um, was born into leadership, as the old adage used to go. You know, we believe that leadership can and should come from everywhere in an organization. We believe in this concept of dispersed leadership. And at the end of the day, it's not about a special kind of person. It's about a special kind of action. And in a healthy organization, people should feel able to notice what's required, decide what needs to be done about it and have the courage and the support to take action. So I think the big mindset shift is away from this is my role, full stop, to there's a problem here. I don't know what the solution is. Um, I've got the courage to admit that I don't know what the solution is. Um, what I need to do is learn how to bring people together, be humble enough to recognize that I don't have the answers, um, and, and collectively, we decide how to move forward. And, and, and I think that's the big mindset shift from I own this problem to actually I need to share this problem because I don't have a clue how to resolve it. That then brings a wider cultural challenge, doesn't it? Because you're talking there about having autonomy or feeling empowered or having the space and room and uh, to be trusted. You mentioned the word courage. I, I think that's such an important quality, but it doesn't come naturally to everybody. Simon, your, your thoughts um, on the, the scene setter, as it were. Hi, David. Thanks, uh, Michael. So you talked there in the summary around you know, climate change and migration of people and, and all of these challenges. I, I accept that they're challenges for large companies, but what about small companies? They still need leaders. They still need leadership. Don't they have more of the challenge of chasing the profit margin you know do they do they sacrifice their leadership's uh, principles sometimes to be able to grow a, you know what might be a fledgling organization i'm not sure that size is the issue i i do think that some organizations will choose to chase the profit motive at the expense of all other things but again you know if you look at the number of startups and if you look at the number of exciting technology-based organizations that are really starting to uh, you know, motor into the space that is being left by the larger, more traditional organizations, and then you look at the people who are starting those organizations, they're already completely um, on board with this idea of, yes, we want to make a profit, but not at the expense of people and planet. We, in fact, we actually want to make a profit by enhancing some of those issues, by making things better. That's the key, isn't it? We've heard this a couple of times. I think it was on episode four with Dr. V. Kashar, who is an investor, you know, and he was very clear, you know, they won't invest now in organizations that don't have that clear commitment, you know, from a corporate standpoint with some of these 
more common corporate targets. So yeah, it, there is a def, there is a new values set that is prevalent now, and I think unless you're recognising it, you're you're going to go against the tide. I, I constantly use the example when I read about Unilever, I think a couple of years ago, when they made their commitment to reduce plastic, and they directly attributed it to the demographic that's coming into the workplace who will work for Unilever, but they will also be the next set of consumers. So it's a little bit clinical on the part of Unilever, but also it's smart, right? They recognize that this, this, these are people who are going to have a massive bearing on who we are in the future. There needs to be that values front and center, doesn't there? Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, as, we, as, we, as you referred to earlier, this thing about courage, I think a big part of a leader's role, wherever that leader is, is working in an organization, is to have the courage to support um, and to challenge to recognize that um, for things to improve, we have to learn from our experience. We have to be prepared to review what we've learned from our experience and then make change happen so that we don't make the same mistakes again or we, the skills that we've learned we use in a different context. And so I think the leader's role has shifted to one of providing optimism, meaning and value and structure and supporting people on, on their journey towards becoming leaders themselves uh, and taking part in the in the conversation. Um, so, you know, how, how how can a leader inspire other people and give other people the wherewithal to, to step forward and to make things happen in a similar kind of way? Sort of a devil's advocate here, I suppose, in, in the sense of I agree with all of that. You know, we commentate a lot, don't we, on um, or leaders today need empathy in spades, for example. Um, you just mentioned their optimism, meaning, you know, value structure. How are organizations, though, right, going about equipping leaders at all levels to be able to do that? Because I think, David, one of the assumptions that's been made for years is that somebody gets put into a leadership role and automatically they're a leader and they know what they're doing and they know how to do it. And of course, we know the reality is for many, they don't. So this is a big task. It is. Uh, again, the concept that we use ourselves is one of uh, human-centered organizations. So, so what interests me is how you create an organization where people feel engaged and involved. Uh, you know, one school of thought is we, we, we develop three different styles of leadership development programs. We sheet dip people through them, depending upon their seniority in the organization. They come out at the other end and off they go. They start to perform. Um, you know, and I think I think that world is shifting and it's shifting more towards Let's get our leaders together to decide on how best to develop our leaders. And we talk about a concept called learning in the flow of work. So, in, you know, instead of leadership development being an exercise that happens away from work and then people come back in, it's something that can actually be keyed into the workplace activities. Um, so we're, we can review, we can, we can learn from that experience. And we're asking our leaders themselves to decide on how best we can develop their leadership capability. It's one of the questions I wanted to ask you today, you know, was how, how can organizations involve their leadership community in, um, in, in two ways, I suppose. Well, I'll come on to the second part of it in a second, but how can organizations, though, involve their leadership communities in even identifying what a role of the leader means in their context, right? Because it won't be, it won't be the same in every organization because we're dealing with philosophy. We're dealing with, you know, different points of view. We're dealing with different outcomes. 
Well, again, you know, the concept I come back to is involvement, engagement, you know, people own what they create. So if you really want people to get involved in this conversation, bring them together, give them the wherewithal to have the conversation, inspire them, you know, maybe bring some disruptors into that environment, maybe um, show them some examples of best practice and some examples of bad practice, help them to experience it, and then have that really uh, wonderful quality conversation as a result of that, you know, a really good dialogue, which with the right kind of facilitation will extract the kinds of ideas and the kinds of answers that we're looking for in terms of how we develop people going forwards. But on a different level, you then have that emotional engagement because it's being created by the very people you're trying to retain, the yeah. very people whose you know, brilliance you're trying to liberate. They feel involved, they feel engaged, they feel that they'll be more likely to step up to the plate and make things happen within the organization in the right kind of way. I agree. I mean, one of the things we've asked a couple of our guests in, in relation to the resignation coming through the pandemic, going back to what you said about organizations having to change, we know that many are going back to the absolute basics. So they're taking a really good look at culturally, what kind of organization do we aspire to be going forward? In addition, they're then re-looking at, but what then is the employee value proposition that we really want to be communicating to the market. So what kind of organization are we? You know, what can you expect from us? Do you have examples or, or, or do you have viewpoints on how organizations could or should be going about doing some of that work? Um, you know, Harriet Green in episode five was very, very clear. Diverse teams always win. Diverse teams, bring them together, get them involved in that work. So what, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree. I think the first thing to nail in any organization is, what is this organization's purpose? And too many organizations either outsource that to a design or marketing company, um, or, the, or they decide upon it, you know, in a, in a, in a little glass tower, you know, with the, with, the, with the CEO and the top guys, and then expect everybody to embrace it. You know, so if you, want a, if you want a purposeful organization, involve your people in creating that purpose. And it's not about sharing ignorance. It's about a process that really... Um, can inspire people to want to get behind a new a new way of taking their organization forwards. So I think that's the first thing that you have to nail. What's the purpose? Get a purpose that's going to inspire people and then live it. You know, don't just have it in a frame on the wall somewhere. Actually demonstrate on a day-by-day -day basis how you're moving towards achieving that purpose. And so everyone who has the official or unofficial title of leader in the organization needs to think again on a daily basis, what am I going to do today that, that moves us closer towards that purpose? And how am I going to communicate that and share that with other people? I think one of the challenges that we hear often, you know, if we take that a step further, so moving from the purpose then and considering the sort of the value proposition, if you like, I think one of the things that's got a little bit more difficult is, is how do you actually, as a leader, manage somebody through what we used to call the employee life cycle? You know, I, I don't like the term myself, but you know what I mean. It, it is indeed getting a lot more challenging for the leader to actually support individuals through that. I mean, we're definitely seeing the itchy feet syndrome. Tenure is dropping. Another challenge for leaders is certainly how can they help an organization to bring that employee value proposition to life and manage the expectations of individuals going through that? 
again, I would imagine you're seeing some observations from organizations you're working with that that is actually going to be a crucial piece of work as we come through the pandemic and get to a more settled state. One thing I'm noticing is the more successful leaders that I see are the ones who have switched completely to a very human focused approach to leadership. So they 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 have a lot of one on one time with their people, with the people who are in their circle, the people who work for them, the people who influence them. They have a lot of one on one time with them. And, and that one on one time is is about understanding where they are, understanding how they're feeling um, and then deciding how best to support them. Uh, you know, in collaboration with them, what can I do to support you at the moment? You know, you're obviously finding this a bit tough. Um, I can see that you're getting itchy feet here. What can I do to support you through this process? But at the same time, um, as as well as supporting them, challenging them and, and, you know, finding activities or experiences or or um, future state objectives that will really kind of re-engage them with that part of the uh, that part of the business. I saw this a few years ago with some work we were doing with a client uh, where they were losing a lot of um, graduates four years into their four years after graduating. And one of the things we put in place quite simply uh, was um, an opportunity to work in the community. It didn't take up a lot of time, but it was an opportunity to work in the community and using their skills, their own skills to help community organizations improve their bit. And uh, we we turned around the attrition rate hugely through that experience. So there's one example there of really understand the people you're, you're working with, understand what's missing from their working life, and then, you know, challenge them to bring that back in. So in the past, when I've been looking at employee value propositions, they've been too one directional, right? Not 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 two ways, almost like this is what we, you know, will commit to supporting you. This is what we expect back in return. So it's, it's got to be that two-way street. And le- you need your leaders to be that intersection, if you like, between ensuring the organization's objectives are met, but are the individuals met also? And that's not always easy, you, you know, because it's, it's, it's not, not a panacea. Simon, your, your thoughts? I just wanted to build on where you're going with there, Michael. Uh, I mean, so leaders need to listen, of course, uh, and encourage people to speak up. But that's sometimes difficult if you're in a situation where the person leading is not necessarily performing. Uh, and as an employee, you might not be comfortable <laughs> speaking up. You know, sometimes it is easier to just leave. How can a leader impart that they do want to listen and how can they encourage an employee to speak up more and it be more collaborative between the leader and the employee as opposed to being you know one directional it, it, it's a really good point that one simon and and um and i think a lot of that comes down to how we help leaders become better leaders um and for me there are there are three aspects we need to look at and, and help people to develop uh, and the first, and in my view, the most important is self-awareness. So what can an individual do to learn more about how they affect other people, about how they're perceived in the organization, and to encourage this kind of two-way feedback, which should be, I, I believe, should be part of every organization. You know, learning from our experience and having opportunities to share open, honest feedback. Um, are two, for me, two measures of a healthy organization. 
and 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 too often uh, the word feedback has incredibly negative connotations i'd like to give you some feedback Ooh, you know it's it's it, we it, it's a cultural thing that needs to be worked on so that everyone in an organization can see that as a growing process rather than um, something to be afraid of uh, you know the other two areas um, i feel are important are social awareness so understanding how other people affect me or or us and then finally um, environmental awareness you know, and that's in the context of an organizational environment. So being able to look across a room, for example, and recognize what's missing, recognize what kind of leadership intervention is required um, so that things can be moved forwards. It is an art and a science, though, isn't it, leadership? You know, it's not easy for all. I think people aspire, but it makes you wonder, are some people more natural? Is it more innate? You know, that courage to step forward and fill a void. I mean, I was very interested in the, you know, I think it's a great question by Simon about listening and these some some of these cultural challenges around feedback, for example. It's missing in so many organizations. And you wonder how we ever learn and how we ever grow and, and how we ever move forward, you know, and, and challenge norms, et cetera. But there's no doubting that there's many organizations that we work with where feedback is non-existent before the, all the reasons that you you just gave, David. So one of the big areas that we wanted to explore today is around, you know, the strategies that organizations can now take to build out uh, leadership capability at all levels of the organization and, and not just in management roles. And, and sort of just to give a sort of a, a reference. So at SAP in the United Kingdom, we're going through a, a transformation at the moment and an integral part of that transformation and it's largely cultural, it's largely behavioral, is we have got about 100 to 150 multipliers uh, embedded in the program from all different facets of the UKI business to help champion the behaviors that we're looking to see. And, and I think that's a great way to go, but it won't be easy. You know, it'll take time, it'll take time culturally. So what strategies are you seeing play out to build leadership capability, not just in the line, but generically across the piece? Yeah, well, I'll come back to what I said earlier, which is this kind of concept of learning in the flow of work. So I think organizations who are really making inroads into, uh, you know, developing this capacity for leadership are the ones that are recognizing it's not just about delivering leadership development programs, it's about actually developing a culture where leaders develop leaders from within the organization. Um, and and what some of the some of the strategies I've seen that have worked quite successfully there are, for example, where an organization takes the innovation process and throws it wide open and brings diverse teams from around the organization, um, some who who might be, you know, the usual suspects, some who might be completely new to the whole idea of innovation. And using that as a bedrock for leadership development, as well as creating some fantastic ideas that may or may not be uh, adopted by the organization as new products and services or new ways of doing things. So I, I do think that coming back to what you said earlier, change is huge. It's huge now. It always has been, but it's it's even it feels like it's even bigger now. So rather than being afraid of change, let's use change as the opportunity to create engagement and, and to build leadership capability. 
what what I'm referring to here is taking the lid off change and being brave enough to put a few people in a room and say, okay, here's where we are. Here's our purpose and where we're trying to get to. How are we going to do it? And, and, and leaving it as wide open as that and then watching and supporting and challenging and encouraging people to use that very real live conversation as a way of building the capability they need to give and receive feedback, to improve their self-awareness, to improve their awareness of others, to learn from their experience, you know, and bring that kind of richness into the organization itself. Um, because that's how you'll create the kind of leadership that that you that you believe you need by by encouraging leaders to develop it for themselves. David, what just going back to the th- the three you had of self-awareness social, I, I I often say to people that understanding of self is one of the most critical things that you can ever do. What what's the most effective ways that you've seen, uh, you know, recently, if you like, and and I'm and I'm not trying to be complicated with this, but how how can you know leaders and individuals just actually effectively raise awareness of self? I'm a very simple person, <laughs> and I think the simple methodologies are best. So uh, you know, bring a small group of people together, give them a task to do. And then when that task is completed, sit them down and ask them to talk about, first of all, how well they believe the task went. Secondly, how well they believe they got on with each other. And thirdly, get them all one-on-one to invite the rest of the people who are involved in that experience to give them a little bit of feedback. And, you know, the first time you try it, it's very clumsy. The second time you try it, you know, you might start to see a few emotions. Um, but once it becomes part of your practice, then self-awareness is accelerated as a result of that kind of process. The tasks can become more complex, they can become longer, but it's the practice of reviewing what's happened and having conversations about how it made people feel and what they learned about each other through that process that's important. I mean, I know you just said simple, right? But the actual application and the the courage to do that and opening yourself up to it that isn't simple but i agree with you wholeheartedly and you know i mentioned didn't i at the beginning that um impact international uh, ran our global program over a decade ago and uh, i joined one of the uh, flm uh, modules just so i could observe and, and 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 just be part of it and i and i remember saying i said look i'm not going to sit in the back of the room and observe i want to get my sleeves rolled up i want to join as a participant and i remember at the end of that day we did a feedback round and uh you know when it was when it was your turn every single person in the group gave you one thing you did well and one thing you uh, could do differently and i've never ever forgotten the experience it was so powerful and and i think you know you you say it's simple but the impact it has is incredible i think this is where organizations culturally have got to make quite a big shift especially as you're building out a leadership culture rather than just thinking about that sort of role of the leader. How have Impact International adapted through this change? Uh, Huge changes uh, over the last four years, actually. We started to develop uh, some learning technology four years ago, thank goodness. Um, We've obviously accelerated that through the last two years. And, and, And the purpose of that was to extend the life of our leadership initiatives and our leadership solutions. And uh, so that's worked really well for us. But you can imagine, you know, 250 people based around 17 different offices 
around the world, different cultural norms, all the rest of it. Getting everybody on board with that idea was a challenge. We put a lot of things in place to try and get people on board with um, the new technology that was being developed. As soon as COVID came along, you know, there was no excuse. Everyone needed to get on board with it quite quickly because all of our work moved from face-to-face, which was only part of our solutions, to being completely technology-driven. And we had all the same challenges that every organization has faced. You know, I had people in hospital on ventilators. I had, uh, you know, we've got um, offices in China. We've got offices in Italy who were right at the hub of the early days of COVID. Mental health was a big um, worry for me, uh, for for our people. Um, And so I wanted to bring people together. I wanted them to feel the support from across the world. So we set in place a twice weekly um, one hour, never never allowed it to go over an hour, one hour Zoom um, that was designed to achieve participation from all parts of the world, time zone wise. And we're still doing that now. In fact, people don't want it to stop. And I, and I would argue that we're actually working more collaboratively as an organization now than we were before COVID started. You know, and, and that's just because we wanted to see the whites of people's eyes, admittedly, on Zoom to make sure they're okay, to make sure they're still on board um, and to give them opportunities to create things for themselves. Uh, We ran a big process called What's Next, where we just um, kind of blue skied the future and and tried to determine what kind of organization impact will be in the future and then extracted ideas from that that we could innovate and and, and experiment with. But the real purpose was to bring people together and to get them having conversations together and supporting each other and challenging each other. I love the what's next question, actually, because I think building on many of the things that you've said today, and you can imagine organizations, if you're looking to be more inclusive, you know, running these kind of activities, you know, with groups, with diverse groups, maybe, uh, you know, setting a specific challenge or actually just doing some blue sky, but just getting people to feel that they are contributing to the future direction of the organization that they are in. And there's no doubting that I think what many have talked about coming through COVID is this feeling of belonging is actually really, really important. Um, and, and, and feeling safe and feeling that you're valued and feeling that you're recognized, et cetera. So I'm conscious of our time because Simon will always keep us in check. So as we close out, David, you know, one of the one of the the, the questions that we we ask all our guests, and I think is proving to be very, very popular is um, as around some of the wisdom and the, the the top tips or pieces of advice. What would be some of your top tips, real pieces of advice that are undoubtedly going to be important for organizations in this area in the coming years? So I've got four top tips. Um, I think the, the most important one, the one that kind of rules all of them is, uh, let's call it involvement. So don't try and land a change initiative without involving your people. There are lots of different ways you can involve them. You can involve the whole organization, but work really hard on helping people to uh, recognize that this is a collaboration, that every voice counts, um, that everyone has a part to play in landing a a change initiative. Uh, You know, if if it's, uh, we've decided what we're going to do next and here's what we want from you, it just won't work. It's as simple as that. Um, so, you know, the, the phrase I use is you own what you create. Uh, the second one, I've mentioned it a couple of times, is develop the capacity to notice, decide and act. And this is as much a cultural thing as it is 
and individual leadership capability. So help people to recognize for themselves when leadership is required, help them to recognize what kind of leadership intervention is required, and then give them the courage, the permission, the wherewithal to take action instead of um, sitting there and watching the situation deteriorate. The third one is listen hard to people who have a different point of view and a different opinion. Instead of ruling them out because they don't align with the corporate view or they don't align with um, what you individually happen to believe in, they're often the people who can disrupt a situation in a really positive way and, and help you get to a better solution than perhaps you would do otherwise. Um, so I always try and listen to the people who don't agree and find out why and, and what it is that's driving them. And then the last one, again, I've, I've covered it a few times, is role model giving and receiving feedback uh, so that it becomes normal. It doesn't become a, a kind of tool that you threaten people with. It becomes part and parcel of the culture of the organization and the daily activities that, that people follow. Um, so, you know, plan something, do it, review it. It's something we've been doing for 42 years. It works like a dream. It, it's a treat. It helps people become better at uh, developing themselves. Yeah, it really does. Do review, do review, do review. <laughs> I think they're top tips. I, I really do. And, and as I was mentioning, a part of the transformation that we're doing in the UKI, it's lovely. We're, we're actually doing giving and receiving feedback workshops. And the facilitators are volunteers, you know, from within the business. So it's not just HR or the, the learning organization. It, it's line managers and, and others, you know. And, and it's about sharing with others what are some of the principles, you know. And we're also then doing pieces of work around listening and empathy and, and things of this area. These are the qualities. But I do love that capacity to notice, decide, to, to act. I think that's the culture that organizations have got to embrace going into the future. Because uh, many of our customers are now different organizations to what they were 10 years ago. Their eyes are so open because they are full. They're just facing disruption every single day, whether it be market, whether it be customer, whether it be financial, economic. It doesn't matter what it is. Changing habits, for example, if you're in the food industry, you have to react. You know, you just have to react culturally to what's happening around you. So they're top tips. They're, they're fantastic. So, David, listen, I can't thank you enough for giving us your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest on the podcast. So thank you very much. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Simon. I've really appreciated being part of this podcast. I've enjoyed every minute of it and I hope people find it useful. Simon, that was an absolute pleasure to have David as a guest on the podcast. So many takeaways. Can I start with yourself? You know, what were some of the things that you took away from that conversation? Well, there was a lot in there, but there was a couple of areas that really grabbed my attention um, and, and made me starting to think. Yeah, you know, the first was you know, leaders developing the future leaders uh, and that being part of the role of leadership. I think that was a, just a, an interesting twist. It's not just about leading others, but also developing people that then would become that future leadership. So I thought that was certainly widened my thought process about what a leader should be doing. And I think the second one is just actually probably a recurring theme we've seen across a number of our episodes now we, about being brave, you know, is it as an individual, an organization, or in this context, as a leader. And I think that that brave uh, word just seems to keep coming up over and over again. So, yeah, really great conversation, I thought, from David. What about yourself? 
yeah, I agree with you on those those words around brave and courage. There's no doubt in this theme around, you know, the culture of organizations is prevalent in all of the conversations we're having. Um, and as you said about leaders developing leaders, you know, David talked, didn't he, about different approaches to learning in the flow of work. I was quite struck by that. But I think also in his top tips, he talked, didn't he, about leaders raising their own self-awareness, the importance of a feedback culture, and truly listening hard, especially to people with differing opinions. It just, for me, seems to be that we are, we are developing a theme, again, that doing the basic fundamentals, you know, every single day to ensure that we're learning, doing something different or doing something better, I think is going to be the bedrock of organizations being successful in the future. It's not always about the shiny new ways of doing things, but actually going back to some of those basics. So yeah, brilliant. So episode nine is uh, is in the can, as it were. Simon, thank you as always. Um, and we will look forward to our next episode. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>